the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Week is recorded and distributed in partnership with Rave Pubs. For more information, go to ravepubs.com. This is AV Week. Episode number 20, recorded December 16th, 2011. Fruit Salad Jello. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of news, information, and commentary for the AV industry. I'm your host, Tim Albright. With us this week is Bradford Ben. Bradford is the applications expert from Harmon Group. Hello, Bradford. Hello. Not to be confused, we also have Brad Grimes. Uh, Brad is the senior editor for Infocom International. How are you, sir? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Welcome, welcome. And uh, across the, the desk from me is Michael Drainer. He's the systems engineer. I'm sorry, systems manager. You're no way. You, know, you're, you could be an engineer, but you're the systems I'm, I'm manager. A, I'm an engineer turned sales geek. Geek. Yeah. Uh, for the Sound AV Group of Tech Electronics in St. Louis. Hello, everyone. Uh, this week on, on AV Week, we're going to talk about the CE Pro's Person of the Year, uh, recycling your old gear. Extron's got a new sexy power supply. And I have a way for all of us to make $500,000. I'm excited because <laughs> yes. I'm going to buy an Xbox with it. But first, <laughs> WebOS. And Michael kind of pushed back on me on this. I, why we're talking about an operating system for a cell phone or even for a, a mobile device or a tablet. Here's my, my thing. And real quickly, in a 30-second synopsis of WebOS. WebOS was a brand new operating system developed by Palm, if you remember the Palm Pilot and the Trio cell phones. Uh, it was their foray, foray into trying to combat you know, the iOS stuff. I think it was cool. I think it was a great operating system. HP purchased Palm, didn't really know what to do with it. Uh, the, the, the Palm Pre, which is the cell phone that it was actually on, wasn't doing well. And so they said, hey, let's slap on a tablet. That didn't work. They actually tried to offload the tablets for about 100 bucks a piece, and they went like hotcakes, but they were losing their shirts on the tablets. And so now Meg Whitman says, hey, let's put it on the, on the open source market. Let's open source this sucker just like Linux and just like Mozilla and all of the other stuff. This is where I come in and where I think it's a really cool idea. This it gives people like Savant and like Aurora and like Control 4 a sexy, stable operating system to go against people like AMX and Crestron from the front end, from the consumer end of control systems. We'll start with you, Bradford. Does that sound plausible? Does that even sound right? Because it's open source now, these guys can take it and run with it and start competing uh, in when it comes to the actual front end of, of control systems. I don't think so. Okay. Uh, Part of it is I agree with the idea of it's it is possible to use a tablet web OS operating system for control systems. Uh, you look at just how pervasive iPad and iOS is. But the reason I'm not sure that open source will work so well 
is just looking at all the branches that will start coming off of it. Uh, having dealt with, you know, which version of Linux are you running? Which which boxy are you running? Which PlayStation media server are you running with all this open store stuff that you start getting all these different branches going on? Now, if they go to a model like Red Hat has done where you can get the commercial and the non-commercial version, that I could see as being viable. But having having this open source and truly av- available to go anywhere that someone wants it, I think... Hackers will, you know, the same way they tweak their their iPhone to tweet when their dog goes out, <laughs> you know, I think they can hack this to make it into a control system. But I'm not sure common market it'll it'll go everywhere because, you know, I think about our friend Rich and, you know, he's always flying around the country programming control systems. And can you imagine if each one was a different branch, just yeah. he would have to start over at scratch each time. Yeah, the question is how how soon will it be rooted or jailbroke or whatever the case but may be. It doesn't have to be jailbroke. That's the that's the idea though. It's open source. Well, for the application though, right? I mean, as soon as they as soon as they discover that uh, they could start making modifications to it, then it's going to be no different than like the Connect or you know the latest Android tablet where you're doing all kinds of stuff it was never intended to do. Um, you know, I think it's a cool concept, but just like uh, Bradford's saying, I just don't know if the practicality of it really suits the application or the, the application suits practicality well and at, at the end of the day tim i agree I, I i thought it was a great platform uh hp couldn't sell it uh as soon as hp started their fire sale people started recognizing it and saying you know it's it's, it's pretty good stuff i sort of you know i'm, I'm depressed that it's going away and then they sort of but part of the reason it's going away is because there's there's other stuff out there i mean you know there are all the iOS control interfaces. There's you know Android is is also you know free for people to develop on. Um, I think what'll happen is it'll be interesting to see um, some small startups maybe try to try to start something based on an open source uh, uh, web OS. But I, I would I would wonder if it's a, if it's got a long term future. Okay, good enough. I've been thoroughly trounced so. <laughs> Well, just just so you guys know, I, I kind of confronted him about even bringing the story to the table, but he brought up some good arguments, well, and I think it's good discussion. I, I thought that maybe there was opportunity for a few startups to come out of the woodwork, and that might be too. But but I I guess my my thinking is is from the end user standpoint, and that is, you know what, all these guys talking ones and zeros on the back end, and I'm I'm not going to get into a comparing a pro to to a, an Extron controller, to a, an Aurora, any of that. But there is a marked difference between Aurora's front end, Control 4's front end, and a TPS-6X from Crestron, mm-hmm. or the Modelo from, from AMX. And I'm not trying to be you know, you know, hateful to any of those wonderful companies, but there is a, a, a sexy difference. I mean, there just is. And uh, go ahead. I, I was just thinking that the WebOS would give these guys at least, you know, what? In, instead of coming to a, a gunfight with a knife, it would at least give them some kind of gun. Mm-hmm. And I agree that it can look a lot sexier because, you know, as Steve Jobs has proven, the interface can win the battle for you. Mm-hmm. But I also think that a lot of uh, the customers where this would be installed would want to have the phone number that they can pick up and yell at someone when it doesn't work. And with open source, you lose that. You do, except, and, and I, I guess I was I was trying to get too much into the mind of 
the uh, companies here. I was trying to be the head of, of Control 4 or the head of, of Aurora by saying, you know what, it's open source. We can write our own and standardize it for us and our company. And then we support it because we're the guys that wrote it. You know, we, we own it then. We take the open source SDK or, or however that works. We write it ourselves, and then this becomes the Aurora version of WebOS or the Control 4 version of WebOS. And then you go from there. So, I mean, it's, it's no different than, than Red Hat, Hat or I don't know all the different flavors of Linux, but there are several different commercial, quote, unquote, versions of Linux, right? Yep. Well, Red Hat owns the Red Hat version of Linux, mm-hmm. right? I don't call them if I take the Linux kernel and screw with it myself. So, I don't know. Well, well yeah, I think, I, I think that, they, that, that people will take a look at it. But at the end of the day, like you were mentioning, from the, from the end user point of view, I mean, the, the end users already voted. You know, they voted iOS. Uh, they have voted yeah. Android. They mm-hmm. they haven't voted WebOS, which is why it's now being released into the public realm. <laughs> yeah. And, if you can't um, sell it, give it away. Yeah, and it's it's like you said, Tim. It's a great platform. I completely agree. It's a great platform. I I would love to see someone develop something on it. Um, but uh, you know, people don't always go for the best platform. They you know they go for what's in front of them. Um, and I'm not saying uh, iOS is a great platform. Android is is a good platform. Um, they, they they voted, and I and I think that companies like Control Four, you know, see that. Yeah, that's true. Well, Bradford mentioned it. Mentioned Steve Jobs uh, this this week or the, the past couple of weeks of this year. CE Pro Julie Jacobs, Jacobson and the group came out with their inaugural Person of the Year, and da, 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 it was Mr. Jobs. Uh, my question to you guys, and Michael, we'll start with you. Is this a good pick? Was it picked because Mr. Jobs passed away, or because? He really was should have been the first person of the year when it comes to CE Pro. You know, I think it's definitely the result of the the tragedies that have occurred over the past year. Um, you know, Mr. Jobs probably would not have been nominated had the incidences that occurred um, not happened. That being said, I can't think of anyone who is more worthy of the nomination than Steve Jobs, given his contribution to the consumer and the professional electronics industry. Hmm. Bradford, you? Anybody else? I'd say Steve Jobs was a was a good pick. I do think, uh, as Michael alluded to, a lot of it is because he did pass away this year. Uh, but just if you look at how big of an impact he has had in consumer electronics as well as in the pro industry with, you know, the ubiquitous iPad interface. And when people say, you know, I'm listening to it on my iPod, they don't say they're listening to it on their MP3 player, even if it is. I think in terms of that impact, it it can't be beat. It's it's kind of like we I mentioned before. He took existing technology and made it unbe- unbelievably easy to use. And he made the user interface the win, which to me is is a good thing, but he made it so that electronics were accessible to non-tech people, which is pretty hard to do. It, it is because, you know, he, he did kind of make, he, he took what was scary and and very, you know, intimidating to most people, and, and he made it, like you said, he made it accessible. So, Brad, do you have anybody else, or are you are you going to, we got to have a, a, a quorum yeah. here? No, I, th- I think it's quorum. I, th- I think it's all of the above. I, I um, you know, I, I'm not going to peer into the minds of Julie and, and Jason and everybody over there. Uh, I, but it's 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 apt 
you know, in a year where uh, a visionary passes away to to establish an award like this. And he's obviously deserving of it. And, you know, his contributions, uh, especially for the CE Pro industry, are uh, are interesting. I mean, he's he's also, uh, you know, made it uh, it changed the paradigm of control interfaces, uh, made it so you don't need multi thousand dollar uh, control interfaces anymore, um, which is, you know, that, that's that's something that the CE industry uh, has to deal with. Um, he's also made a generation comfortable touching things, touching electronics. Uh, you know, they're not the first company to ever try to have a touch interface or touch this. It's but they made it so that you know they made people willing to do it. And and the, the biggest thing he did was he separated uh, content from from the medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we I grew up thinking music was a disc. <laughs> it never occurred to me that music was just something that was delivered on a disc or delivered on a tape or and now it's you know it's 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 completely separate content books video music all the media is now you know separated from the medium and uh, and now the way people deliver content around their homes around their businesses uh, has completely changed because he's uh, he's popularized that, that that separation I just have to say that Miss Jacobson's nomination is definitely much better than the Time Person of the Year. <laughs> oh, be quiet. It is. It's not. That was a good... I'm not going to get into that. I liked Time's Person of the Year. You did. I'm yes. hanging up a protest. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you didn't know that the, the Person of the Year was the protester. I mean, so. give me a real person at least. Come on. Not to yeah. change the subject, but give okay, me a you person. Know what? In 1980, not, not a figure. In 1984, it was the personal computer. This is not the first time that they've done a... I know, and, and I disagreed it. with it in 1994 or 84 when I was no, seven years didn't. old. <laughs> you couldn't read in 84. We're not sure he can now. No, either. he can't. <laughs> Listen to AV Week. That's that, right, I've still tried to figure that one out. That yahoo over there is Michael Drainer. Also on the other end is Bradford Grimes from Harmon, Crown, whatever. I just, oh, I just did Dad. that, didn't I? Yes, you did. That was you know bound what? to happen. That was bound to happen, and it's only five minutes into the show. Brad Brad Grimes from Infocom, Bradford Ben from Harmon slash Crown slash you know, he's a really smart guy that knows a lot of stuff and he works for Harmon. So I'll go with that. Wow, that didn't take long at all. Um, from Rave Publications, uh, this this is from from Rave uh, Pacific Media Associates. They released their 3D penetration finding for K through 12. Um, if you've ever listened to this show in any way, shape, or form, and we've <laughs> talked about 3D, you know my feelings about 3D. I think it's stupid. <laughs> I, I don't. Why, why don't you just tell us how you feel? I don't have a use for it. I, I, I should say this. I have one use for it, and actually, it is this. It's education. But here, here's what. Here's the nutshell of of the study. Basically, they said. There's a large interest for it, but not a lot of penetration. There's a, a great um, need, not need. They, there's the, the people that are in K through 12, and I would even say even higher ed. They have a want for, for 3D, but it's not making it in there. Uh, Brad, we'll start with you. Is there a reason that it, if, if they have the, the want, if, there, if there's the want there, then I guess what's the next step to get them to pull the trigger and get it in there? Well, the money. I mean, well, yeah. uh, it's uh, it's. Uh, 
And I, I completely agree with you, Tim. I, I have my reservations about 3D, except as far as it goes in the pro-AV space, where I think it has a lot of application. It has a lot of great application in K-12 through schools. Unfortunately, uh, even as maybe the economy starts to turn around, um, state, local, community governments, school systems are still pinched tight. They, they just don't have the money to spend on these kind of systems right now. Um, which to me is the biggest issue. I mean, they, you know, they're trying to make sure that they don't have to fire teachers right now. Yeah. I don't think they're going to go and in, invest in, in a lot of 3D. That said, great application for it, and and I can completely see where school systems and districts would like to get immersive 3D in there. Uh, it makes a lot of sense in a lot of places. It doesn't, you know, personally speaking, doesn't make a lot of sense in my living room or my family room. No. Um, but it has a, a a lot of terrific pro applications. Bradford, is this? Let's say that that as the technology matures, just like all technology, the price will come down. So, is this a good vein for 3D to kind of make their bones, or should they they try to push it into you know Brad and I's living room? Uh, I think I, that 3D is a solution looking for a problem. <laughs> I uh, like you. <laughs> the here so. I understand, you know, you look at all the the stuff that's coming out in 3D, movies that are being re-released, and I kind of scratch my head and go, is it really better and immersive, as, as Brad Grimes said, or is it just new copy protection and a new way to sell, to sell you more hardware? And I agree with, with Brad on the, you know, there are better things for the school to spend their money on than 3D. I also think that at some point someone's, you know, I hate to use to disparagingly say politically correct but as someone who has bad eyesight 3d doesn't work for me so what am i going to do you know what would i do in a school with 3d you know i've gone to theme parks where they spend millions of dollars on 3d and it doesn't work so why would i think it would work in a school and then you know i've been to schools for service you know to to go out and pitch my wares and they're still using you know vhs cassettes yep so (laughs) You know, coax, going from coax to S-video would be a step up. Going to HDMI in 3D would be... Do you hear that, be, Tim? Do you hear you that, know. Tim? Oh. <laughs> For those of you who... you got to listen to last week's episode. Uh. He said it would be a step up. <laughs> right. S-video yes. is a step up. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's provided you're running coax to begin with. <laughs> you know, it's, now, do I think that it has some good applications? Yes, I do. Do I think it's a panacea? No, I don't. And I I think, you know, I'm not putting in my living room. I bought a new TV last year and I saved, you know, a couple grand because I didn't put it in my living room, but it doesn't work for me. Michael, you actually have a similar, I don't know medically if it's the same problem as, as, as Bradford, but you, you, you can't see 3D either. So is this, I mean, you're obviously not going to put this in your living no. room, but are you going to pitch this? And try to make make some money off of it to I education. Mean, if if it's if it's a viable solution to solve a problem or satisfy a need that one of my customers has, absolutely, I'll pitch it to them. Um, you know, you and I have talked extensively about different applications, specialty applications in the engineering and the sciences and things like that, and, and the ability to utilize three D to enhance the educational experience. And in those applications, I think that it is uh, it is definitely something that has its place. Um, I don't see the content production A and the adoption rate in the 
residential and the consumer markets happening fast enough to sustain the growth of 3D in those markets. Um, we see the manufacturers pushing it out. We see the retail stores prom- promoting it. And I'm going back to what uh, Brad, I don't remember if it's Brad or Bradford that said it, um, about the dollars, right? It's about selling hardware mm-hmm. because the content just isn't there yet. Uh, unless you've got consumers who are willing to pay for the content and pay good prices for the content, the providers aren't going to develop it. Well, and that goes back to a, a slight deviation. He, Bradford mentioned, you know, the re-releasing movies. Uh, one of the movies that, that my kids, and I have a three- and a five-year-old, big Disney fans, I should buy stock in the company, um, <laughs> is Lion King. And Lion King was originally released. It was it was one of their, in, in the 1990s, and it's being re-released in 3D. Now, you, you can't sit here and tell me that they went back and they redrew the entire movie to be done in 3D. So they're just kind of going, and this is simplistic, but I understand it, and don't you know be, get mad at me about it. But basically, they're copying and pasting the images, one for the left eye, one for the right eye. And you know what, though, is I do think going back to old movies and old being previously released 2D movies, not like, you know, 1920s silent films. That would be awesome in 3D. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Tramp in 3D. I want to see Chaplin in 3D. Yeah. 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 But I do think that shooting movies in 3D that are designed to be played on the large screen as immersive. Because I'll be Absolutely. honest, I saw I saw Mars Rover, which is a Disney 3D IMAX, and my wife and I loved it. You know, but that was immersive. The 3D for me wasn't the best, but I knew that going in. But you know, that to me was yep. There's a reason for me not to sit at home. And put the DVD into my TV, it gives me a reason to go out to the theater and see the experience of the big screen. And I think that's the better avenue for Mm -hmm. it than trying to push it to other places. And then, you know, the Hollywood can make all their money and the hardware manufacturers can sell new new projectors for D-Cinema and all that. But I'm I'm not sure it, it makes sense to have it at home. You know, my wife and I, if we purchased 3D technology, we'd be watching movies separately. I'd be buying because I can't be a bad thing, because I mean. well not necessarily but <laughs> yeah because yeah, no yeah, I don't enjoy the experience you know I can see, you know I put on the glasses and I can see the picture come together but there's just nothing there for me you know there's nothing now, exciting you, two years ago at Infocom you and I uh, stood in in the quote unquote hot zone or sweet spot I really forget the the, the terminology mm-hmm. of this this auto uh, stereoscopic display I thought it was really cool it was it was neat it was you know I could see everything. And you're standing right next to me, shoulder to shoulder, and you don't see Bubkiss. Right. That's just crazy. They should fix that. Now, what I thought... There's, they got a lot more to fix than that over here. <laughs> yeah. uh, is, now, having said that, what I think would be cool for for schools is I'd love to see, you know, kids work in 3D rendering programs mm-hmm. and then go to a 3D printer and print out what they just drew in 3D. I think that'd be great rather that'd than... You know, yeah. a projection system. Right, mm-hmm. right. Well, you know, there's other benefits, too, in the K-12 through and the education markets. You know, we've seen different studies that show that they're able to identify vision issues early on with children and help them to uh, uh, get the help that they need early on, helping to enhance their, their learning throughout their educational years. And so in that case, the application of 3D in those environments is great. I just go back to, it's not for me. Yeah. But you're not in school anymore, so. Well. You should be, but you're not. Uh, from AV Technology. He's not letting up, is he? Project Green AV <laughs> has partnered, be quiet, with Global Electronics Recycling, 
basically, this is a way for you, at Michael, Mr. Integrator, to you go into a school. Let's go back to schools for something, or you know, somebody's house or, or house of worship, and they have a 1975 Barco three Canon projector that's as big as a Yugo. They have a way for you to get rid of that. It's reset. Go ahead. No, it, you, you recycle it. it it's it, you know that you get you get rid of it in a, in a, in an responsible way. Question is, and we'll start with you since since you're staring at me like that. Um, <laughs> First of all, would you do it? And secondly, what are the alternatives? Like, what are the people doing now? Are you just taking this back to your warehouse and waiting for a year and then toss it in the trash? Not typically. The uh, That's left up to the owner to decide what they want to do. We'll turn over a lot of that hardware. Now, if they want us to dispose of it, then we'll work with an electronics recycler to dispose of that. And I think programs like this are, are excellent opportunities for integrators and owners to become environmentally responsible and to do things the right way, not just try to bury it in a dumpster somewhere and try to sneak it past the trash guy. Brad, you you deal with you're from Infocom, so you um, you deal with a lot of of industry guys. Mm-hmm. What's what's the sense that you get? Are are guys just typically either Mike Michael said leave it up to the owner? Is the are the owners throwing it in the trash, or are these guys bringing it back and eventually are are yeah. they doing this? Um, it varies, obviously. It varies, and quite honestly, a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, some of these programs, some of these recycling programs, community by community aren't always easy to identify the, the fact that project green AV will just come up, you know, anywhere and pick this stuff up and arrange for it to be recycled. Um, you know, it's frictionless. It, it makes it, uh, it makes for good ease of use, but uh, you know, there are integrators who have, you know, programs who are partnering themselves with recycling companies. So they do that. There are manufacturers who partner with recycling companies, uh, to, to help, uh, to help do this. Um, but it varies. And, and some of it is just the fact that, uh, uh, here in the U.S., it's not always easy to identify these programs. I mean, in my own house, when I want to recycle the, the you know the fifth computer that I've gone through, it's not always easy for me to identify the best place to take it. Um, so this this kind of thing is a great program. What um, you know, I, Infocom's got its uh, and it's not an Infocom program anymore, but it's 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 Green AV program. It's a Sustainable Technology Environments program. It's mm-hmm. Step program. Yeah. Um, which is now run by a separate nonprofit foundation. Um, part of the STEP program and the rating system, which basically looks at an AV project and, and ranks it on its sustainability, part of it uh, is, you know, part of the way you get points is by addressing this kind of issue. Um, and one of the first things that it encourages is, you know, obviously you're going to recycle, but it also encourages you to look at a piece of equipment and see what else you can do with it. Um, you know, do you, does that, can that, does that speaker have five more years, uh, life in it, maybe in a different part of the building, uh, for a different use, something like that. So, um, it encourages, uh, integrators, consultants, uh, building owners to, to look at their equipment and see what else they can do with it before they, uh, you know, go and replace everything. But then, uh, you know, if there is no place, you know, for it to be, to be used, uh, if, and it is at the end of its life, yeah, it encourages to recycle. Um, and more and more people are doing it. And it's it's a program like this will go a long way to helping uh, ease that. Well, and, and Bradford, a little bit about what Brad said, not only does it give us from an industry standpoint a way to, to kind of responsibly get rid of this, but couldn't we also use this for, for Brad's, you know, fifth and sixth computer? Uh, heck, I'm going to give him my seventh and eighth computer. <laughs> uh, I Wait, think you you is... have Macs. Send them to me. 
No, I, I, I have Windows machines as well as oh, Linux. I'm okay. truly an equal opportunity geek. <laughs> uh, but I think this is a, a great program. I actually think it, it solves a problem. You know, as Brad alluded mm. to, you know, I have trouble. I have an old laser printer that, you know, is taking up space. And I'm sitting here going, what do I do with it? I've been donating them to, you know, good causes recently. But even they're going, yeah, we don't want that. It's <laughs> from last century. And I do think that. I, I like the idea of the reuse option a lot better than the recycle because I do think there are a lot of good mm -hmm. places that can use some of these things. But I think having a recycle is a great thing. I, you know, the fact that in theory I could pick up the phone and go, hey, Gina, come pick up this 61 inch Sony rear projection TV that doesn't do HD, which is sitting in my dining room if anyone wants to come pick it up. <laughs> uh, just joking, but it is really in my dining room. You're pretty close. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm actually, I finally, after six months, found someone who wants it because he's buying a new house. Hmm. It only took me six months to get rid of. But, you know, think about it. I spent six months trying to figure out what's the responsible way to dispose of this. I don't, you know, it's, there was no other way, you know, there was, I, there was no other way to get rid of it. And, you know, I've had it 11 years. It's, it's, lasted its lifetime it's time to be replaced but to not have a way to get rid of it responsible responsibly i think shows two things one that we didn't think about it when we made this stuff which i think is a problem and two i don't think that you know a lot of communities are in thinking about it. so i'm very happy that you know green av is making it easier for everyone to do this yeah i think that actually you, you spoke to something even even bigger we're not thinking about what to do with this stuff once once it's into life comes uh, that goes for TVs all the way down to iPads. You know, we're really mm -hmm. not thinking about how to get rid of it. So, yay for Gina and the whole Project Green AV guys. Uh, from Extron, yay. Here's the thing. If you've ever installed an Extron product or held one in your hand, I, I like Extron as a company. I like everybody there, everybody I've, I've ran into there. There's one thing I don't like about them, and that's their power supplies. <laughs> and I know this sounds weird to talk about, but it's it's, you know... They're ugly, and not that power supplies are ever pretty, but they're separated from the product for the most part. So they came out with something, and, and you guys can tell me I'm crazy because I, I think this is cool. They came out with a thing. It's, it's, their, it's their power supply trade-in program that lets you uh, turn in 15 unused 12-volt, 1-amp power supplies for their new PS24. Now, that part's cool, but I think the fact that they have the PS24 is even better so, you know, Bradford, what do you think? Is it am I silly for for thinking that that power supplies are important, or are you on board with me? And this is cool. A little bit of both. <laughs> I'm silly, <laughs> and it's cool. Uh, no, well, it's overdue. Yeah. Uh, to me, this goes back to what we were just thinking about before of the consumption and what do you do with it. You know, why is this taking so long? I remember years ago in last century when I was a contractor having to deal with the wall warts. That was one of my big things that used to drive me bonkers was hiding them in the rack. Mm -hmm. And then I don't remember which wireless mic company came out with a rack-mounted power supply that would power four wireless receivers. And I was like, this is great. Not only does it not take four outlets, it goes in the rack. It's easy. It's simple. You know, poof, done. So I think... Without a doubt, it's a good idea. I'm just surprised it's taken this long. 
I also kind of wonder, though, who's going to have 15 power supplies <laughs> sitting around yeah. unused? Because from my standpoint, most people are buying them to install them and put them in. Well, that's, that's the trade-in program. I think the, the bigger story for me is the fact that they actually have this thing now. Yeah, and I think that's a great thing. And also, I understand why they're doing external power supplies. I think that's actually a pretty good idea across the board. Uh, if I could figure out how, you know, think about the fact that we're, you know, this is a multinational industry. I'm not speaking for Extron or, or for any other companies. Just, you know, from seeing my home electronics of being able to take something and go overseas and plug it into the wall by just replacing a wall wart is huge. Whereas, you know, before it used to have to be, oh, I need a whole nother model of it. Yeah. So I think the wall wart's not all evil. I just think having lots of them is evil. Yeah, they're just a, they're just a big inconvenience. And, you know, the Extron bricks, as we call them, um, are somewhat obnoxious. They're better than a wall wart, um, you know, the older style power supplies, because at least these you can strap into a rack. But when you've got a whole bunch of uh, TP transmitters going into a sing- into a couple of rack spaces, it just congests the snot out of that thing uh, with all those power supplies. So this is this is definitely long overdue. Um, I'm just waiting to see how Bradford figures out how to do this on an iTech HD. Uh, they, I, you know, it's a really big power supply. <laughs> well, this is part of the reason we went to the IEC power cord on there. Well, right. exactly for worldwide. Right, right. But I love the I love the external power supplies from the perspective of uh, failures. Right. What are, What are one of the top things that fail in any device? It's the power supply. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have to change out the whole device, unrack the whole thing. You just swap out the wart, and away you go. Um, my one concern with centralizing your power like this is obviously redundancy, not redundancy, but availability. You lose that unit, you lose everything that's powered by that unit and not just that one device that you would lose if you lost a brick. So there's definitely trade-offs. Yeah. But well, go ahead. Go ahead, Ben. Sorry. I, I, I was, I was, I see a next step also. I see a step where, um, you know, you, you don't get these bricks with every Extron device anymore. Right. Um, I mean, the reason yeah. that this, that this program exists in the first place is because they're putting one in, in every box. You look at, uh, uh, look at the Amazon Kindle, which we now have a few in our houses. You know, at some point they decided they're not going to give you a power supply with everyone. You're going to buy one separately. You know, I'm not going to buy one separately because I've got one in my house. I'm, I'm going to charge up a Kindle at a time or whatever it is. But, you know, I think the next step in this evolution, and I do think this is a great plan and I think it's a great program, is just to, you know, say, okay, this this is what comes in the box what does not come in the box is the power supply. You figure out how you want to power your equipment, and we'll sell that to you separately. But isn't that and, – and, and I, you're absolutely right, and I think that speaks back to what Tim was talking about on the green and the step programs, and that is being more environmentally responsible when we're thinking about mm-hmm. the manufacturing of yep. this stuff, that we're not just shipping stuff arbitrarily to customers. And, you know, he said, well, who's got 15 Walmarts or, or bricks laying around? We do. Yeah. I've got yep. boxes of them sitting in my warehouse right now that we don't know what to do with. When we need a power supply, we go down and grab one. But I'll probably take advantage of this trade-in program. It, it goes yep. back to – this is a stupid story. It goes back to when uh, Extron released their pole vault system. Yeah. Extron, if you don't know, if you've, ever, if you've never ordered anything from Extron, they put what they call a tweaker, which is just a, you know, a small a screwdriver. Uh, both you know, has a, a Phillips end and a regular end on it. They put a tweaker in every. They put a tweaker in every single box that they that they send out to you. The pole vault system was multiple products in on one skew on one in one item. There was a, a tweaker in every single <laughs> item 
in a pole vault system. Yes, but are you, have you ever gave one back? No, but here's the thing. That, that was when they first came out. I think it was right. 07 or 08, or 08 when they first started shipping those. They wisened up, and there is no longer a, a, a tweaker in every single pole vault box. I think you get one with, with the right, entire with the system. system. So it, it, you know, it cuts down on cost. It cuts down on waste. I can't tell you how many tweakers I've given away. The yeah. gallon wrenches. Yeah. 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 Oh, good In every Lord. single box you get from Ikea. Yeah. And especially the security <laughs> island wrench, the one with the hole in the center. Oh. Yeah. Anyhow, you're listening to Amy <laughs> Week. Go ahead. I was going to say, Allen keys are recyclable. I do know this from experience. How do you recycle them? I put them in the recycling bin right next to my empty soda cans. Really? They're metal. They're yeah. steel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I never thought of it. I've never thrown one away, but I just keep them in a coffee can. There are so. certain um, certain tools I'm not allowed to bring back into the house because I have too many of them. <laughs> uh, much like the Extron tweakers can only as well. imagine. <laughs> With him, yeah. Oh, my. How's it at your house, Brad? Are you like uh, Bradford here? <laughs> uh, I just I just hide them somewhere. There you See, go. That's, that's the smarter way to do it. Right. You just hide them. Right. So. Then I can't find them. <laughs> uh, you listen to AV Week. Uh, that would be Brad Grimes from Infocom. Bradford Ben from Harmon, Michael Drainer from Tech Electronics. Coming up, we're going to talk about uh, whether or not integrators are fish bait for IT companies. Uh, what Bradford wants for Christmas, and uh, also a way for you to make $500,000. But first, it's time for the AV Week Job of the Week, brought to you by Rave Pubs, ravepubs.com. This week, it is an AV technician in Lantana, or Lantana, Florida. Uh, it's for Mellon Securities and Sound Systems Incorporated, looking for an installation, uh, somebody who can install audio, video equipment, networking, and programming. You have to have a high school diploma or a GAD, GED, and you can make forty-five to fifty-five k a year. Holy cow! Uh, for more I think Tim's moving to Florida. I'm not, I, I, I'm not moving. To, I, not a bad idea. Uh, for more information, uh, go to ravepubs.com and go to the resources section under there is um or are or are all of their their job listings so it's a b week job of the week in installation technician a b tech tech in in florida so uh, from ce pro if you tattle on a schneider electronic or electric counterfeiter you can make up to five hundred thousand dollars sign me up uh, this is a program that Schneider uh, has started. If you don't know, Schneider makes uh, power supplies and stuff. People like APC, uh, Square D, and, and Clipsell. But my question is first, and, and, and I say $500,000. Basically, if you report somebody and Schneider gets back actual um, restitution, if they get over five hundred, I'm sorry, you can make $100,000. <laughs> If well, you, not if you put in five people. In five so, people, there right, you go. There you you can go. Make if you if you if you report somebody and they get back five hundred thousand dollars and above, you can make up to a thousand hundred thousand dollars. So, uh, Bradford, we'll start with you. Is this a big problem in AV counterfeit equipment? Like, have you ever ran into a counterfeit Crown amp? Yes, we have. Really? It's mainly overseas, not here in the states. It was, really? yeah. Yeah, I don't I'm know if you I don't know up. if you remember in 2008, Sure had a big deal with the Chinese government where they raided some factories in China, mm-hmm. people who were counterfeiting SM58 microphones. And I know that we've we've heard stories of the Crown amplifiers, AKG microphones, and things so, along those so lines. to make a hundred thousand dollars, I'm going to have to go to China. Well, Just eBay, no. actually. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And to, to be honest, though, 
for Schneider to do it. I think it's a good idea. Uh, part of it is not just protecting their brand, but part of it is, let's remember, this is electrical stuff. Well, yeah. What's, what's going to happen is, you know, someone, hopefully no one, but someone's going to do something stupid, get a shock, injure themselves. They're going to see Schneider on the outside of it or APC and or Square D and go sue them. And then Schneider's going to have to go and say, no, this isn't really us. This is counterfeit and prove that it's counterfeit and everyone loses. Whereas now they can go, look, we're trying to get ahead of it. We've been trying to, to squash this in the, in the bud. You know, let's, you know, we've made our best effort. We're sorry, but not our fault. So I think there's a certain amount of that going on, of limiting liability. But I also do think there's a lot more, especially for some of the dumber, uh, less complex electronics, knockoffs are easy you know you can get knockoff iec cords which people go what do you mean what's a knockoff iec cord one that's not actually ul listed or other safety agency listed so when you start looking at you know square d's making breakers it would be kind of bad if there were cheap square d breakers (laughs) in your in your box you know so I, i i see the reason for it but i don't think it's just an av issue i think it's a all commodity issue. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's say, and, and when I sent you guys out the story, I was saying that this is kind of 1984-ish because, you know, you're telling on your neighbor. I, I can see where this is an issue now. So how does how does somebody go about doing it? Because I'm not smart enough to go, yep, that's an, that's an, that's an, a, a, a counterfeit APC device. Well, I, I think part of the reason that they're doing uh, it is a problem. You, you mentioned, sure, Philips has problems with uh, replacement bulbs and things. Uh, there have been companies in cables and, and connectors who've been trying to chase counterfeiters. Um, chasing counterfeiters is expensive. Uh, you know, protecting your brand, protecting your IP. Um, like uh, Bradford said, a lot of this stuff happens overseas. It, it's an expensive proposition to continually protect your brand and 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 protect yourself against counterfeiters. So, uh, you know, offering a reward, having someone, I, I don't, I wouldn't consider tattling if I happen to, you know, know that the APC uh, that I've got is a knockoff and, and reporting it. I mean, it's, it's illegal. It's against the law. It's uh, um, and you know, this is sort of like, uh, you know, policing by the masses. I don't think your average uh, uh, consumer or average anybody is going to, is going to necessarily get me out inspecting these things and figuring this stuff out but it is it is a big problem and um you know a lot of it has to do with uh, contract manufacturing overseas uh, it's it's big business now they they call it uh i think i heard it called like the third shift syndrome or something like that at some of these contract manufacturers where basically the third shift after the bosses go home they, they grab a bunch of supplies and they they go home and they you know assemble things and then they drop ship it to some place uh you know overseas and it shows up on ebay or something like that so it is a big problem. You want to protect your brand, but you know, AV professionals and contractors, integrators—they obviously want to work with reputable dealers because, like, like Bradford said, you don't want, or, or I, I can't remember who said, it, you don't want the liability of a of an electrical component, you know, hurting someone or causing fire or anything like that. So, Michael, when you're out doing an installation, is this something that you let go back to? You know, you're taking out old equipment. If you take something out, is the onus on you, the integrator? To say, hey, by the way, this is this is fake, this is counterfeit, or is it where you make the client aware and that the onus is then on them? 
you know, I, I haven't run into anything like that yet, um, especially did. especially on old product. And, um, you know, I think this is more of a recent issue, uh, not something that we're going to see as we're decommissioning systems per se. But it is on us to make sure that we're dealing with quality distributors who are buying authorized product. And um, that comes into us building good relationships and partnerships with our manufacturers and knowing what the products are and and uh, understanding where they come from. Um, obviously, we want to provide a good product and a good service to our customers. And that's damaging to our reputation. If it's not, it's damaging to the manufacturer's reputation. And ultimately, it hurts the consumer. Because as these guys, the manufacturers, have to ward off these counterfeiters, that's raising their cost of doing business. And that's eventually going to be translated to the consumer at the end of the day. And it's, it's uh, like Brad said, it's a no-win for everybody involved. And it, it's, it's an economic impact, too, to our industry. So, you know, you start getting into national economics, you get into uh, international trade. I mean, this, this is a big, big deal. And I think it's, it's uh, the responsibility of everyone who is involved with these technologies to keep their eye out for this stuff. And Schneider's making it more appeasing to do that, <laughs> more appealing. Or at least more profitable. More profitable. There you go. There you go. So my question is, uh, Bradford, when's Harmon going to introduce their uh, um, compensation program for spotting counterfeits? <laughs> If you can spot me a counterfeit, I'll give you a $4 XLS T-shirt. <laughs> hey, do, do you guys have, like, an idea box, like, in the hallway or something in, in Harmon? You should yes, like, we do. Then, then write it down and, and put it in the idea box. There you go. Actually, I can tell you we already have uh, legal people looking at this, because about once a week we get an email of someone, you know, hey, I found this on eBay. Is it? Yeah, if it doesn't have a serial number and it's two dollars, it's probably not one of ours. <laughs> well, and you know what's impressive is how accurate well, some of these counterfeits are. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've looked at different manufacturers and they actually have little write-ups that tell you how to spot their counterfeits, the difference between the authentic and not, and it's a difficult spot. I'm sorry though, but okay, so yes, everybody's looking for a good deal and everybody's trying to make their 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 dollars stretch farther. But if I find, I don't know, give me a really big, expensive JBL speaker for fifty bucks, brand new. If if the light, if something in my brain doesn't go, this probably isn't right. Then something's wrong with me. Yeah, but a lot of times, uh, from what I can see, and this is, you know, when people are counterfeiting, they're not selling it for fifty bucks. They're selling it for the normal mm-hmm. retail price, Ooh. so as to not get you know to not raise alert alarms. people right. and oh they make more money at it that way too <laughs> well yeah <laughs> you know so instead of having to sell 10 of them to make 500 dollars, they can sell five of them to make 100 or 500 dollars. Wow. you know so the you know we've seen some in that you can look at and go the only way i could tell the difference is the power cord's too thin yeah and wow. you know the, it sounds funny these counterfeiters are pretty dang good and it's not just electronics that has the problem it's you know is it's everything has the problem oh the, the, the packaging even i mean they, they go to intricate detail to make sure the packaging looks exactly the same way and they include the warranty cards and oh yeah i mean this wow. is this is uh, not a small problem but just a little plug for the integrators and dealers out there that's why you need to buy from reputable companies right who have established relationships with good manufacturers yeah. we like harman so like Harmon. <laughs> Woo-hoo. Uh, from, from by, my, by the way, we're going to be sending you the bill for the, all these plugs today. <laughs> no, What's even not. better is I'm doing this on my lunchtime, so I'm not quite sure how that works. 
you, get, you, you, you get commission. That's how it works. <laughs> well, he doesn't. He, he gets he gets flown off to you know Euro Disney next week or something. There you go. Uh, Atia or Atia. I'm, I'm gonna put A T E A is an IT company over in uh, in Norway in the Nordic Baltic region uh, of Europe. They purchased an AV company, uh, AV Solutions, and. Here's my the bigger question, and it, it, it's it's from Ray Publications. So uh, go to our delicious link, and you can read more about the whole the, the whole purchase thing. But this is not the first IT company who has purchased an AV company. So my my question to you guys, um, and, and Brad, we'll start with you since you have a kind of an overarching view of 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 AV. Is this an issue, or is this kind of you know the economics of where we are right now, and you know eventually the economy will rebound? And, you know, purchasing an AV company, we won't, you know, be on the rope so much and so vulnerable uh, to other industries, especially IT guys coming in and, and swooping up and, and buying us when we're when we're down. Right. It's uh, wow, a loaded question. Um, I, I do not <laughs> own an integration firm. I am not the object of any takeover speculation or anything like that. You're not. Um, however, uh, there's there's a couple ways of of looking at this. One of them is that if I did own one uh, an integration firm, or and I was really really good at what I did, and I was expert at what I did, and an IT company that needed my kind of expertise in house bought me, um, you know, am I am I worse off for that? Am I better off for that? Uh, I, I I would I would argue that an IT company is going to go after really good integration firms going to keep a lot of the people it's going to become a part of their practice um and that's just sort of the lay of the land right now is because a lot of what av is is expert at is is falling uh, you know under the it umbrella um and uh it companies know what they don't know a lot of them know what they don't know they either they're either going to hire it or they're going to train it or they're going to go and acquire it um in reverse, is an IAV company going to buy an IT company? I, I suppose it could happen. I suppose if, if, uh, if uh, an AV company of a certain size needed IT expertise, that's a, that's a way they could go out and find it, find a smaller IT company. Um, the bigger question is, are these two types of companies going to continue to merge? And I would say, yeah, I would say I don't think it's, I don't think it's a... Uh, a doomsday scenario where the IT industry is going to uh, consume the AV industry. I, I, I just don't see that. Um, there will always be AV companies that do bread and butter AV work better than anybody else, and they will continue to thrive, I believe. Um, but IT companies that you know w- want to have an AV, AV practice um, will, you know, may look at acquisitions. We've been talking about acquisitions for years. And I don't think that they've happened at the clip that anybody worried would happen or predicted would happen. Um, but the fact is that the two are merging. If you saw uh, Systems Contractor News had their top 50 uh, you know, AV integration firms, mm. or, and the second company on the list was a company out, out here in the D.C. area called Microtech, which is a very heavy IT company. Telepresence, Unified Communications is... is is their expertise, um, and they have a good AV practice. Um, so I don't think it's it's too early to say that this is a, a doomsday scenario. Um, but we know that the two are coming together, and that's just 
just inevitable, but that doesn't mean that AV, you know, certified AV professionals, people who really know, know the experience, um, you know, how audiovisual uh, is appreciated um, at the end user end of the system, you know, they're, they're always going to be in high demand. Um, Cisco realizes this, other IT companies realize this. Um, but if we're asking, will other companies be bought? Yes, I think they will. And I think it could go either way. Uh, so I guess that that would be my, my bigger question. Is this the end of the world if, you, no. if you're purchased by an IT company? Um, well, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I don't think they're going to buy up your, uh, your AV practice only to fire you know, half your workforce, all your workforce. They're acquiring you because they're getting requests for integrated systems from their end users. They're getting requests for things that they don't know about. And so they're not acquiring in order to, you know, knock out a competitor or anything like that. They're not, you know, acquiring, uh, you know, just for the sake of getting big. I think these IT companies are acquiring because they lack a certain expertise that AV companies have. Um, and so, you know, in that case, the sum is greater than the two parts. It's, it's, not, it's, not, a, it's not like your corporate Wall Street mergers and acquisitions. This is an acquisition out of need um, rather than, you know, getting greedy michael your your overarching company is not just av your company entails it and telephone and security and all that other jazz does it mesh well together or does it is it kind of like you know a fruit salad inside jello <laughs> it's definitely that on some days <laughs> that's for sure i, I got bradford's attention <laughs> have you had lunch yet bradford <laughs> No, no one brought me Starbucks either. <laughs> Sorry about Michael. that. Um, you know, I, I think that this is just a further testament to the ongoing convergence of AV and IT. We've been talking about it for years. Uh, we've been seeing it begin to happen, and it's been happening for a long time as more and more AV systems live on the land. Um, you're going to see these two groups come closer and closer together. And if you're a small AV company and you're not doing IT, you're going to have to partner with somebody that does IT. Um, and IT companies are getting more and more demands for uh, conference rooms and collaboration and teleconferencing and, and uh, video conferencing. There's all kinds of different applications. And, and talking to what uh, or speaking to what Brad was saying, they're satisfying a need. And that need is for those integration services because somebody is requesting them. And, the, and the, uh, um, on the other side of the coin, you've got AV companies who are – good-sized firms that need that IT expertise. And they've got the guys that understand basic IP networking. But as the networks become more and more complex and you've got quality of, cur of uh, service controls going into place and you're, you're working in MPLS clouds and connecting people in multiple territories, you come to an elevated level of IT knowledge that your typical AV integrator is not going to have. Mm -hmm. um, when you get into those environments, if you don't have a strong IT group, you're going to have to either acquire it, partner, or train for it. And a lot of times it just makes sense to acquire it. Um, and as is the case in this particular story, hmm. Bradford, is this is this a big deal, or are these guys right? And you know, this is just kind of how we're going, and, and it makes more business sense because our industry is going more IT. Uh, I think it makes more business sense. I don't think it's the sky is is falling at the moment. I think it's just business is evolving, uh, as Michael alluded to and Brad alluded to. It's a lot of, you know. IT companies are being asked to put in 
video and audio systems, and it's expanding on. So they're buying these people, realizing we have no idea how to set up a uh, a remote teleconferencing system or a remote video conferencing system, and what's the difference between a far li- far talker and a far listener and mix minus? They kind of glaze over. So I think that's the big thing is they want to be able to control their destiny and not have to rely on a subcontractor as well as being able to uh, not have to pay as much markups along the way. So I just think it's it's business evolving as, as technology is taking a bigger and bigger hold. I think it's a good thing for the overall industry uh, because this means that, you know, Pro-AV is kind of here to stay and considered part of the base buildings now of table stakes of, oh, if I'm building a new office building or I'm going to expand, I need to put in this, this, and this. So I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I think it's it's a good thing and it's the way it's going. I don't, as uh, Brad said, I don't think it's people trying to take out their competition. I think it's more people trying to control their entire uh, value and supply chain. Yeah. Good. I feel better now. Because I was all all freaked out. And... He had this big gray cloud over him when he walked in. That was my sound effect for a cloud. That was a cloud? Oh, be quiet. <laughs> uh, from Chicago Tribune, this is the part of the show where we get to find out what Bradford wants for Christmas. Uh, <laughs> actually, he's going to give us something, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, we're going to go around the horn here and see um, the, the Chicago Tribune article says, basically, it, the, this is the gadget gifts for everybody. So... Uh, Brad, Brad Grimes, we'll start with you. What is it? What is the one or two things, either on this list or another list, from a technology standpoint, that you would like to see under under the old Christmas tree? Oh my! Uh, and and you can send this like to your wife if you'd say, like. What do you want for Christmas? Oh, I, I want nothing. I just want you guys to get along. That's all. <laughs> uh, I want love, not war. Yeah, I. I World peace. I'll disclose. I I already have a Kindle Fire. Okay. So that that doesn't need. Don't don't anybody send me one of those. Um, it's a nice nice platform. It's got uh, you know it's got a lot of first generation issues it needs to iron out. Um, one of the gadgets, and I don't know that it's going to be ready in time for Christmas. I know they're taking pre-orders. Are these uh, Lytro uh, light field cameras? Hmm. These uh, these new cameras. It's sort of uh, you know some genius out of Stanford uh, came up with a, a light field camera, which basically means everything just comes rushing into this camera. That's, that looks like a little viewfinder. It's just this tiny little thing. Um, it's basically something that, you know, you don't have to focus or anything like that. Cause all the light comes in, you can focus basically, basically your pictures afterwards. Um, oh, yeah, I've seen this. Yeah. They're very cool. Uh, I, I, Lytro is the name of the company. I know they're taking pre-orders. Um, you know, they're they're not inexpensive. We're talking four hundred something dollars, maybe, uh, for a light field camera. Um, but they're they're really they're they're really cool. And um, you know, like I said, they don't look like a camera. They look like, you know, a little rectangular sort of viewfinder. They're tiny, um, but they they look fantastic. And and it's 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 a, it's a Silicon Valley type thing that uh, you know someone just invented something really neat. So it's not going to be cheap uh, right out of the gate, but I, I think there's a lot of uh, cool stuff you could do with that, and um, yeah, a Lytro. But I, I don't know if I don't know if Santa will be able to get it under the tree in time. You know what that reminds me of? If you've ever seen Walt Disney describe his depth of field um, contraption that that they developed back in the 50s or 60s, 
where the old type of, of, of um, creating animation was you have a flat piece of paper and you draw on that. And they developed this system whereby they, they created the background several different layers and then they and then they took a, a camera and came out of that very slowly and that created a, a more depth of field when it came to the animation the same thing mm. with this thing here basically you're getting every possible angle and then afterwards in the software you can adjust and you can you can focus and stuff so. yeah it, it's really cool uh, it's l-y-t-r-o l-y-t-r-o michael what do you want for christmas a 4k projector Oh, why? <laughs> I know there's not any content for it. <laughs> there's that. There's just not many gadgets I really want this year. Um, I haven't seen anything that, I mean, that little Lytro camera is pretty cool. Um, but for the most part, you know, I've got the iPad and, you know, the, the, well, I've got the Blackberry. I would really love to have an Android phone, but that's. <laughs> you would like to have any kind of phone. <laughs> any other kind than of phone other than right the Blackberry. Uh, too bad it's company issued. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can't think of any, there was nothing that really stood out for me. Um, you know, what do you get the gadget guy that's got every gadget, you know, a, a, a security system, a, a tie, <laughs> a tie <laughs> yeah. certificate. Yeah. Bradford, it is your turn, sir. Oh man. So this peace on earth, goodwill towards men and women. Or is that too much to ask for? No, your 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 that's tweets. Good. That's good. That's good. Your your tweets. I like that one. If you have, if you don't follow Bradford, we'll, we'll get you then at the end. But usually, <laughs> if he's out and about, he'll say today is. You know, December, we're recording this on December sixteenth. Today is December sixteenth. Please be nice to each other. Yep, <laughs> I love well, that. <laughs> well, thank you. What what got me started was looking at the the article you sent out about the computer captain and the Netgear Powerline AV adapter kit that I actually have two of in my house. Oh, wow. And the reason is because I couldn't make one work, and I hung up on tech support when they couldn't help me. I'm still trying to figure out what a my Cisco wireless router has to do with my Netgear Powerline AV, but apparently I had to reset that. Uh, so what... what, what <laughs> Me and me and tech support get along great. Yes. But also, I've canceled Christmas. It's now free loot day. <laughs> but but uh, the other thing I want, and this is kind of one of those big industry things that's my big rant, is I've been spending way too many hours trying to get a media server that works with all the different platforms in my house, so I can put rip my music once, store it on my hard drive, and play it on my TiVo on my iPad, on my iPod, on my Mac, on my PS3, on my wife's Mac, and not have to run these cables all over the place and transcode and all this other stuff. That's all I want for Christmas, to be able to listen to my media any place in the house. That's an awful lot. Have, have you have you used FreeNAS? Uh, I looked at it, and it did not meet the wife acceptance pos- uh, requirement. Oh, really? Because that's the other thing is... is being what we do for a living, the, I want to be able to come home, pick up the remote, because I have four of them. Hopefully I have the right one, so I really want the Logitech. <laughs> and then press the button, and music just magically appears, not actually have to think about it. And, and I get that, especially yeah. if you do what we do for a living. You you don't want to think about your technology when you get home. So, 
See, and you thought I was going to ask for something like an iPad or a Kindle Fire or something like that. Although a waterproof iPad would be great. Oh, now that, that would be a good one. Cool. Okay, I will put that one on my yeah. list. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I look at it. My wife has hers in the kitchen when she's cooking. And the amount of times I'm like, oh, she's going to oh, get geez. something on it. Yeah. <laughs> or drop it in, it the, in the pasta bowl or something. Yeah. You see, so waterproof iPad that's still functional. There are companies that will dip your, your electronics in, you know, this really thin layer of plastic. Yeah, I don't know how that would work on a touchscreen, though. Well, it should. Might. I mean, you, you, buy, you buy protectors for your, for your electronics all the time. Oh, you do you, for, your, for your phones and stuff. Okay, um, I'm going to the Google. <laughs> Bradford's like hey, a mark. Yeah, before you do that, Bradford, you, you did have a, a giveaway um, oh, yes, that you I wanted do. to do. Yeah, uh, actually, for those of you who follow my blogs and my tweets, uh, you know I've been talking a bunch about evil Facebook and using sm- using photo hosting services instead. And uh, SmugMug, which is my photo hosting service, not that I own them, that I use them, I have no you know interest in it. They stepped up and said, you know, we'll give away for you, you know, a one year. Uh, pro level membership in Smug Mug free of charge, and this is available to people anywhere in the world as long as they have internet. So, the idea being is you come to my site uh, or follow me on Twitter uh, and take a look around, and the instructions are pretty easy. And you just enter, and I'm not doing anything with it other than sharing the joy and trying to be nice to everyone of you know giving this cool thing away. So. You have a way to share photos with your friends and family that is easy, plus be able to click a button and get a print through SmugMug. And you can just go to bradfordben.com with two N's and uh, register there or follow me on Twitter, which I know uh, which I know Tim will, will spit out those URLs as well. But that's pretty much it. They're just being nice and wanting to give people free loot day gifts. And I'll chime in here real quick. We're at we're a SmugMug household. My wife takes pictures... Uh, uh, semi-professionally, she's got a professional level. Sm- it's a, it's a, it's great service. Hmm. Unsolicited. So, so is Unsolicited. it just a hosting service, or, or can you get prints and stuff through yeah, it too, like this? You, you can get like prints. And these are oh, good really? prints. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, these, these are. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, Brad. No, Calendars. Bradford's right. These are good prints. These, these are professionally yeah. done prints, quality paper, real pros behind the scenes doing all this stuff oh that's good i I bought my wife a a really nice digital slr last year for christmas so that's she's been taking pictures of the dogs (laughs) you can enter i got pictures of the dogs up there you know it's uh it sounds funny the reason i like them is this is what i think every company should do when you get a print from them they guarantee it if you don't like it return it well really we print it for it yeah they have a print guarantee which tell me any other company that does that and they're nice people you know, I've actually gone out to their office and they made me lunch. Try doing that with other companies. Yeah. So smug mug. I said just go to Bradford's website, bradfordben.com, B-E-N-N, or he's on he's on the Twitter at Bradford Ben. So, real quickly, guys. Uh, not that that you know, there's this is not up for debate because the election's already been held. But Cedia has released an end. Uh, assigned, volunteered, you know, elected their their executive committee and the board of directors. Uh, it's a two-year volunteer stint. Um, there's consultants and integrators and people like that. Um, not that I expect a grand discussion here, but does anybody have anything to say other than, yay, congratulations, CDA has their, their board in place? 
None? Okay. Well, I was actually going <laughs> to say... That was a good response. <laughs> I was going to say, and I'm trying to remember who brought it up uh, earlier, is it's interesting that we that the chairman is from Mexico and not from the U.S., so it's truly branching out. Yeah, and good for them for, for doing that, you know, so... So, um, all right, real quickly, uh, I got this in the in the email. If you're a CTS holder, you get your, your CTS updates in the, in the emails and stuff, and this comes from, from Brad's fine organization, Infocom. It is the three CTS renewal myths. Uh, first of all, it is expensive to renew the CTS. Well, yes, if you, you know, $125 over three years is expensive to you, then yes, I suppose that is expensive. But in the grand scheme of things, what's it say? Like 30 cents a day, I think? Hang on. It's eleven cents. Eleven a day. cents a day. Yeah, that's not too bad. I spend that on Starbucks. You, yeah. <laughs> you spend more than eleven cents a day at <laughs> Starbucks. If you're anything like me, you spend half your check. <laughs> uh, renewal credits are not important. Oh, contraire, you need them because <laughs> you can't renew it without the RUs. And uh, there are not really many ways for CTS D's and I's. Uh, real quick, actually. Uh, Further on in, in uh, the rest of this uh, article, they talked about guys who get both D's and I's uh, in, in ways. That I, I will admit, I failed my D, my D, my D test this year. Uh, I, I don't remember what part I failed, but I did fail it. Yeah, but, but it wasn't by much. It wasn't by no, much, which no. is somewhat infuriating. <laughs> Brad, can you do anything about that? Can't pull those strings. Come on! I was so close! <laughs> that, that's why he's now in broadcasting again. <laughs> so well, close! I, the important thing in all this, there's, there's a few important things about, uh, about CTS. Uh, we talked a little, little, bit, little bit earlier about AV and IT coming together and these, these joined uh, industries and uh, becoming part of, you know, more part of the building industry. I mean, AV is really... A player at the table right now and we're sitting at tables with lots of people who understand standards they understand codes they understand certifications they all talk in those those terms so um, you know even pre infocom days you know I, I understood that the, the value of a AV certification w was very high and um, these days now that the CTS program is accredited by national and international standards bodies you know, it's it's more gravitas. It's 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 a more it's a it's a much more serious thing. I mean, people understand these things. Architects, builders, they understand ANSI standards. They understand ANSI accreditations. Um, and to be honest with you, a CTS or a CTSD or a CTSI, um, they're all starting to mean more and more and more in the larger built environment community. Um, and so, Infocom. Uh, is actually they're not making it easier to pass the test and actually attain the CTS, but they're making it easier to get the training you need, uh, the reuni, reuni uh, excuse me, renewal the units. RUs. <laughs> yeah, the RUs. You know, as, as an editor, you always have to say spell it out the first oh, time yeah. we can go to RUs. But, um, you know, there's a lot of ways you can get RUs now. Um, the manufacturers are able to get their courses certified by Infocom, so that they can offer RUs. You can go to some of these traveling road shows from from distributors like Almo, and you can get RUs. They're trying to make oh, and and they offer their training now to um, integration firms, to other companies, um, so that they can train their own staff. We're, we're trying to make it easier for people to get their RUs, so that they can go, uh, you know, get their CTS renewed. Um, and and you know, a lot of this has to do with 
you know, some things can never change. You know, some things will, will have to be the way they are because it's ANSI accredited. I mean, we have to do things a certain way in order to retain uh, worldwide accreditation for this program. So then some things will never change. Um, but, you know, you can take your CTS tests in all sorts of locations. You can take it at the Integrated Systems Europe this, this what is it, January, February. You can mm-hmm. take the test there. They offer the CTS uh, test uh, at Infocom uh, this year in Las Vegas. So the goal is to put more tools in more people's hands so that they can get uh, get their CTS, retain their CTS, um, because it really is a big part of uh, keeping the AV industry high profile, relevant, and important at the uh, at the table with architects, IT professionals, and everybody else. It's a, it's a great program, and I'm not saying that just as an infocomer. Uh, I, I, I believed that long before I joined the staff. Well, I'll say as a non-infocomer, I do think it's important. I think it's important to get your CTS and maintain your CTS if you, if once you have it. You know, it's it's really easy one. You know, to go out and you know go to go to training, go to go to meetings, go to whatever. You know, and then every three years you pay 125 bucks and you fill out a piece of paper that said I went to this, 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 and this, and I've got my 30 renewal units. So. Yep. Uh, Brad, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. This has been AV Week. That is Brad Grimes from the fabulous organization known as Infocom International. Before that, though, he was uh, he was the – what was your title at, at ProAV? Was it just editor-in-chief? Uh, yep, yeah, I was the editor of ProAV. Okay, yeah. yeah. So he, long, long-time you know, industry writer and, and great professional. So thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate it. Sure, I appreciate it. Uh, his, his Twitter, if you'd like to follow him, is at GrimesProAV which goes back to the V part. Uh, his website, though, is, is, is Infocom International, or Infocom.org, actually, is, uh, is where you can find him there. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Bradford, Ben, welcome back, sir. Thank you. Uh, Good to be here. I, I appreciate you, too. His, his Twitter or website is at BradfordBen, B-E-N-N, or www.bradfordben.com for uh, the chance to win the whole year-long smug mug. So thanks for coming on, dude. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Let me know when we start taping. (laughs) (laughs) Any minute now. Uh, And Michael Drainer over there is the guy who didn't bring any of us Starbucks. He's uh, at Michael Drainer, D-R-A-I-N-E-R. And he's from uh, Tech Electronics in St. Louis. So thank you for coming by. It has been a pleasure again. Uh, I'm Tim Albright. If you'd like to find us and more information about us, we have a new home. It is at RavePubs, RavePubs.com, RavePubs.com forward slash AV Nation. AV and then the word nation. So check us out there. Just like it sounds. Just like it sounds. <laughs> check us out there. Uh, next week will be a best of. Uh, we'll be working feverishly on that. So if you have a best of, uh, give us a call or not give us a call. Good Lord. Give us an email. Uh, you can still go by the website. It's still up. It's got our information and stuff like that. Uh, but for the actual uh, podcast, go to RavePubs. So uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for listening. It's all the time we have for AV Week. Mm-hmm.